All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the Misfit Nation. Last episode, we got to hear from Kirsten McKenzie and had a great time discussing her writing, work as a customs officer, and of course, our lives. Thanks again for being on, and we look forward to hearing from you in the future. In this episode, we have Kara Ochterberger, who is an irrepressible writer, a curious cook, a lazy gardener, a loyal friend, a dog trainer in training, and an occasional cowgirl. She is also a compulsive blogger, a creative writing teacher, an almost famous novelist, and a rescue dog advocate. She will talk your ear off about processed food, growing tomatoes, Virginia wine, shelter dogs, or the puppy she is currently fostering. If you ask about her children, she may brag a bit, as they are certainly worth bragging about. So without further ado, let's get Kara Ochterberger on here. All right, let's welcome to the show Kara Ochterberg, a foster dog mom, a foster dog advocate, and overall great person for doing that. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for saying that, and thanks for having me. Awesome. So if you don't mind, I want you to tell us a little bit of your story from as far back as you want to go to where you are now. Well, that's a long story, but um, <laughs> I'm going to start with just the probably the last 20 years since I, I, I'm a mom of three. And we live on a small farm in Pennsylvania and um, where we raise chickens and lots of fruits and vegetables and horses until just a few days ago. Um, and I started when I moved up here, I started out um, working as a freelancer to, to write about living organically, because that's um, something I believe really wholeheartedly in. My youngest son was diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder about, gosh, 16 years ago, I want to say now. And when that happened, I just started learning a lot about health and, um, and, and, you know, they have not sorted out the autoimmune puzzle. So the only thing I felt as a mom I could do to help was to take everything toxic out of our world and give him all the things that he needed to make his body strong. And so that kind of led me down a path of the organic life a little before it became the uh, you know, an aisle in the grocery store. So I had to learn how to do all those things. I learned to make cheese and yogurt and like every and, and can and grow everything. And we raised chickens and I wrote about it. And that's kind of how I got started writing. And, um, and from there, it just sort of snowballed. I'd always been working on a novel because, you know, that's, I think every writer's dream to be a novelist. And right about the time I finally got an, um, I signed with a literary agent and got, um, my first book contract, we also started fostering dogs. And that came about because we lost a dog we'd had for 17 years. And so we started doing that. So of course, I wrote about it, blogged about it. And my agent said, hey, you know, this would make a great book. <laughs> so uh, so then I wrote a book about it. And we continued to foster dogs um, through that through that book and, and it coming out. And from that, I started, well, basically, after having a really difficult uh, foster dog, I started to wonder where are all these dogs coming from? Why haven't we solved this problem as a country? Why, you know, is there good, am I going to be fostering when I'm a hundred? I didn't want to be fostering when I was a hundred. So <laughs> I traveled South and I went, started visiting shelters and what I learned and what I saw just shocked me. And I, which, you know, for somebody who's up to their eyeballs in fostering and dogs, it shouldn't have, but it did. And it still does every time I go down there. And now I've been down there a lot of times and, um, with a photographer friend, we founded um, a nonprofit initiative called Who Will Let the Dogs Out? And we try to raise awareness and resources for shelter dogs and people who fight to save them. So 
And that's kind of where I am right now. I mean, the pandemic sort of stopped us in our tracks a little bit in terms of traveling there, but we're still advocating like crazy. And in fact, we're in the process right now of um, producing a film about one, a story in um, Western Tennessee in the dog pounds. So that's kind of where I am now. Oh, wow. Uh, what a city <laughs> in Western Tennessee. Um, it's actually focused in Greenfield, Tennessee. So it's the, um, in Western Tennessee, it's a dog pound system and it's dog pounds. Like, you know, from when we were kids, like they hold the dogs for a certain set of, you know, number of days, or as long as the dog catcher feels like taking care of them. And they literally are still called dog catchers in many places out there. Um, and then they have the dogs killed. There's no adoptions. There's no, you know, there's no, um, any standard of care. The dogs aren't vaccinated or dewormed or anything. And, and that, that fact that that goes on in our country it just blows me away. So what we did was um, I partnered with a, a wonderful writer and, um, and her newly formed um, film company called Farnival Films. And we, I hooked her up with someone we'd met on our travels for Who Will Let the Dogs Out. And then they have been hard at work following her and telling the story of her rescuing 19 dogs in one day, um, which is a normal day for her um, in the <laughs> dog pounds of Western Tennessee. So that the movie's about, it's a short documentary and we're just about, we did a Kickstarter to raise the money for it and we managed to do it. And so now we're in the process of finalizing the film and getting ready to enter it into festivals. So it's exciting, really exciting. Yeah, it's exciting and shocking that I, I live in Tennessee and didn't know this was going on. Yeah, so, that's what a lot of people say in Nashville, because a lot of it when I would I've been to all the a lot of the shelters in the areas just outside of Nashville. And when I when I go start saying I was 45 minutes outside of Nashville is where I live and we have animal control here. And one of my mm -hmm. my largest dog was rescued from there. He was a we wanted to get an older dog. So we went there and he put on a good show <laughs> and we. We got him a big uh, hundred pound lab. So he's, we think he's six. They think he was five when we got him. He's, we think he's six now. And then our other, our youngest one, we just got her from a Kentucky shelter just across the border here. Right. She's one and a half. She's a, a lab corgi mix. But both the, the night, it was night and day between the two shelters, the one in our county and the one in Kentucky. The one in Kentucky, like, just like you were saying, Western Tennessee, the standard of dog care. Pound. There. Yeah, it was dog pound and basically in the middle of a field. And mm -hmm. relying on people's good good intentions to come feed them, basically. That's exactly what goes on in too many places. I've been in a shelter like that in uh, south the southwest part of Virginia, and also um, southeast of Nashville. There's a couple places like that where it's just I. Again, it's so close. About an hour southeast of in Franklin County, I, I'm amazed at what is happening there. It's just so sad. And then, and then if you go even further south, because now we've traveled into, um, down through Alabama and Mississippi, it's hard to believe, but it's actually worse. Mississippi doesn't even have shelters. So you can imagine oh. what goes on down there. Um, but it's just, it's heart, it's heart wrenching and it shouldn't be going on. Not when you live like living up here in, in PA, like it's just none of that. When I tell people stories of what's going on down there, they they can't believe it. They just, and, and I don't think they do believe it. <laughs> and I didn't until I saw it, which is why we made the film was because I felt like if people could see what was happening and meet these people, they'd get it. And, and maybe then we could start to, to change this situation. Um, I hope so. Cause I mean, like you said, I mean, I was shocked to hear that it's happening right here in Tennessee and I live here. So that's yeah. just not broadcast local. That's, that's not something that makes the news unless it's a, uh, 
unless something someone kills too many of them at once, I guess. Right, right, exactly. Exactly. And even if they do kill too many at once, it's unless somebody finds out about it and somebody somebody with some clout gives attention to it. That's the only way it gets heard. Oh, definitely. And then, and that's when someone will finally put their foot down and say, we want to hear about this. And yeah. it'll, be in the, it'll be in the news for a couple of days and then disappear. Yeah, that's why we're hoping this film will make it. You know, we're entering it in film festivals all over the country. Um, hoping to shine the light on this and bring some attention and, and help in Tennessee. And then from there, you know, if this, if we're successful in any way, shape or form with this, we hope to make more films. I've got so many stories from so I've been to 50 shelters and dog pounds and rescues now. And I just know so many incredible stories and people that are just like Amber, who's featured in this film that we're working on now. Um, who are just, they're just heroic and, and the battle they're waging is just, it's incredible. And it shouldn't be going, it just should not be going on. I can't tell you how many times I've stood in dog pound and thought, how can this be happening? Like, I just, I'm looking at it and I can't believe it's happening. So I, I know, and I know it's fixable too. I saw so many places that I visited where they're doing amazing things, where they've turned the, you know, the shelter where they were killing 90% of the animals and now, and now they don't kill any except, you know, except in extreme cases and it, it can be done and it doesn't even take that much. It doesn't, you know, people think it's money. It's not money. It's leadership and it's, it's a motivation and it's community involvement. That's all it is. You can fix it. Definitely getting, getting everyone in, involved, uh, basically gathering the village to save the, to save all living things, not just yep. certain living things. Yep, Exactly. Do you want to explain what fostering dogs is so others can know <laughs> what it entails? Sure, sure. I think a lot of people during the pandemic have discovered fostering, which is super exciting. But um, fostering is taking in an animal for a shelter or a rescue um, and caring for it and getting it healthy and preparing it to be adopted. Because when an animal is in a shelter, it's never its true self. Like you, It's just like if you imagine as, as a person in prison, or in, in any kind of institution like that, you're not going to be your best self. And some people react to it and handle it fine. And many people struggle. They can become depressed. They can become angry. And animals respond the same way. And so sometimes when you go into a shelter and you see a dog that's like jumping at the at the gate or, you know, like barking at you frantically, that that's, doesn't tell you anything really about that dog because that you're seeing that dog in its worst possible moment. And when you take a dog out of a shelter and you put it in a foster home where it's with a family and it's living the life it, it could and should live, then, then you have a much better chance of meeting that dog as who that dog is. And it has a better chance of getting a home. So fostering, it, it saves a lot of lives and it also helps shelters that are overloaded and don't have the resources or enough kennels. Um, a lot of places they'll call it um, economic, economic euthanasia or um, killing for space. And that's when they don't have enough resources to care for the number of dogs. And so they have no choice but to euthanize the dogs. And fostering can, can fix that. Because if you've got foster homes, you can move dogs out of the shelter and open up space for other dogs to come into the shelter. Okay. So you mean you mentioned you went to a lot of our southern shelters? Mm -hmm. Why do you believe there are so many dogs in these shelters down here? Uh, I've got a lot of theories on that. I ask that question every time I get um, get to interview a shelter director or an animal control officer. Um, it, some of it is culture. It's just a culture of um, 
seeing the animals differently. A lot of animals, um, dogs live outside in the South and that's common, very, very common. And people will have what's called a yard dog. And that's just a dog that hangs around and is not spayed or neutered. Um, and so consequently you end up with a lot of puppies that were not planned. And there's also, uh, there was an animal control officer actually in Kentucky who explained to me that he said, you know, in the South, especially in, in rural areas all over the country, people had always for generations just let their dogs run loose. And then what happened was, you know, we all, you know, it's encroached by like new um, stores and neighborhoods and like in everything. And those space, those spaces get smaller, but these animals are still running loose. So now you've got animals unneutered, unspayed, running into problems, like, you know, you know, causing a problem with like running loose in a neighborhood or whatever. So he, he feels like a lot of, or like what he felt was that a lot of dogs ended up in the shelter because of that. There were suddenly conflicts that would never have been there if those, they were still just roaming loose in those open spaces. I think the other really, really big reason, probably the biggest reason is there is not a lot of access to affordable veterinary um, surgeries for like spay and neuter. There's just not a lot of access. And, and, and even when there is that people can't afford it. So, um, or the, or the price is too high, but, but then I look at it from a vet's point and I've been told this because I've also talked to a lot of vets down there. Why would a vet set up shop in a rural County in the South where people may or may not want to take your, or, or more like more than likely don't want to take their animal to the vet for, for like just heartworm medicine or a checkup or just the, you know, the, 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 the stuff that they make their money on, um, when they've got these huge vet bills and not vet bills, vet school bills to pay, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. Like, why would you set up shop there? So then you end up with a chronic problem of not enough veterinarians in an area where we need more surgeries, not fewer um, spay and neuter surgeries. So it, it's a, it's a combination of things. It's vet care access, it's attitudes, it's culture. Um, but again, I, I say all that, but I've also seen in places, very rural places, um, there's a wonderful one right outside, probably not far from you outside of Nashville where, um, they are in a very rural area and they don't have a lot of money and they have managed to turn that shelter around. And it's simply due to the leadership, you know, making a decision. We're not going to kill these animals. We're going to find solutions and, and partnering with rescues in the North and, developing relationships with veterinarians and, and having volunteers willing to transport and help. So there are solutions. You just have to want to find them. Right. And, and accept that those solutions will work, even right. though if you even try them, they have worked somewhere else. The success is shown. You just have to accept that success can happen where you are. Right. Exactly. We adopted Ziva. She had she was heartworm positive, and that's how they actually had her listed on their shelter page on the town page. Heartworm positive, and they had a picture of her with a there's a rope tied around her neck that they couldn't untie that had a ball on it. Oh, geez, that's how she was dumped there. So I just drove out there, and my wife said, Go check her out because we she wanted a girl since we had three boys. I went out there, and as soon as I seen her, I said, We'll take her. She said, You're not going to touch her or anything. I said, No, she needs help. I'm going to take her. I said, okay, we'll waive the adoption fee because she has heart on them. I said, okay. But I still gave him a donation, and then I took her to my vet, and you know, she's now on the, the heart wound thing now. This is her – she'll have her second major treatment for that next week, I think. Oh, gosh. That's awesome. Yeah, heart is a huge, huge problem in the South because it's, trans, it's transmitted by mosquito bites. And so and, – and it's so preventable with just a monthly, <laughs> monthly preventative, and, and you'll never have to deal with heartworm ever, but – uh, it's an ex- not a cheap preventative. And 
um, you know, and, and every shelter, almost every shelter I went to, they don't even give them because they just don't have it in their budget. I mean, they barely have money for distemper shots or rabies shots and um, obviously not money for spay and neuter. So heartworm is a huge issue. And it's a reason it's a very expensive to treat. You probably found that out. I mean, it can be about $1,500 to treat it in most places, um, unless you've got a very understanding vet who, you know, is willing to try other methods or give you a break. Um, it's really expensive. And so it, it's the reason why a lot of dogs die in shelters in the South is, is their heartworm positive and they can't get rescue and, and the doctors are, they shy away from it because it is expensive to treat. Yes. And that, like her older brother, Enzo, the one I got from the shelter here, he was also heartworm positive. So we had just got through with him. Oh, geez. <laughs> and then she comes in. I don't know. I don't know how much more of this I can take, but we, we still took care of her and, and she fit right in, beats up her brothers. She doesn't <laughs> understand she's supposed to slow down because of it. But Right. Uh, That's hard. That's the worked. hard part. <laughs> like Enzo, he was an older lab. So as soon as he took his medicine, he'd lay down and go to sleep. She doesn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the girls are always in charge, it seems like, with the, <laughs> with the dogs. I call her boss baby here. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, we talked about. So you have three books now or two books? I have, so I have, um, actually yeah, four cool. novels. Cool. <laughs> I have four novels, um, and two dog books. So the dog books are kind of, uh, they sort of take over my world, but I did finally get, <laughs> I, I did two dog books and I finally had a novel come out this past January that I've been working on for a long time. Cause that was originally supposed to be my. How it was supposed to be your, your main job was supposed to be the book. Yeah, it, you know, I'm a writer and um, I've, I've kind of given up the freelancing other than writing a lot of stuff about dogs, but um, I generally don't get paid for that. And I do still blog in several places, but um, yeah, so the dog books, have, they're a mission, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping I can write myself out of a job that this story won't be something I have to keep telling over and over again for the next 20 years. Um, and I do think we're on the, you know, we've come so far as a as a country in solving this problem it's just now we have these other all the small places you know the places that aren't showing up on the radar and um and and the hardest places to fix the problem we've we've kind of tackled the easy places so but i do believe it'll happen and eventually i won't have to write about it anymore uh, i hope so too hopefully we can write the story away and maybe people will wake up and realize if i get a dog it's not just a, a pretty thing to have for a couple months and Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I like your picture of Otis there. It looks like a pretty cool dog. He's awesome. We love him. He's from Western Tennessee, and actually, he's in the movie. His litter is in the movie. Okay. <laughs> Looks like posing for the picture. That's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's cool. I'm hoping to take him. We're, we're going to start screening the film in the fall. Hopefully, for any any organization that will pay our travel to come, we're going to come and we'll show it for free. And let people sell, sell tickets or do whatever they want to do. Um, as long as after it's over, we can have a conversation about rescue in their area and what they can do. And I'm hoping to take him with me, hoping he can go because he loves people. He, <laughs> he can be our little spokes dog and go with us to screen the movie all over the country. That's our dream. Yeah, that'd be great. He looks like a good salesman, so it'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> so how would people get in touch with you to maybe book you to come to show your screen your, your movie and give your and then talk about shelters and such. Um, well, anybody can reach out um, via my website, carawrites.com, and Kara's with a C. 
Um, and so there's lots of contact information there. There's information about the film there. There's information about all my books, all my blogs, everything there. Um, and, and I'm always happy to hear from anybody via that. Um, you can also find me on Facebook. I'm there as Kara Sue Ochterberg. And, and through the blogs, there's always, I have contact buttons everywhere because I want to talk about this any chance I get. And um, the team that's working on the film, um, we're still trying to, you know, come up with a plan and we hope to put together some kind of package that we can then use to send out to people to be like, here's, here's how we want this to work. And here's what the film is about. And here's what we need from you. And, um, and then one of the five So we're talking about getting in touch with you and uh, what's the best ways. And you said uh, a number of the team will get back with whoever contacts pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. It's just reach out. I mean, we are, we are, won't be ready to go out with it probably until fall. I just, we're still doing, you know, I'm just trying to be, I hope it'll be sooner than that. One of the other reasons that we're kind of hesitating is we want to make sure the world is completely open and that people will feel safe to come out and see it. And, um, you know, because we just want to reach the widest audience possible. So, yeah. So if people just reach out to me through my website, com, and then I will, um, you know, find a way to bring this film to anybody who wants to see it. Awesome. Uh, I can tell you, we'll be open here, here probably next month. I think they're opening movie theaters here. So, Oh, great. A, and Nashville actually opened up a couple weeks ago. Finally, they were the last major city here to open. Our city never really closed. It uh, just uh, did a lot of re- a lot of safety things, but we stayed open right. throughout the whole thing. Right. But, I mean, it's been different for every every state, every city in in the states has been different throughout this whole thing, and just being I guess resilient throughout it and keeping a good mindset helps to get through it. Yep. Uh, absolutely. So if someone uh, was thinking about starting uh, an advocacy for fostering or becoming a foster, what would you tell them? I would say the first thing to do is to reach out to your local shelter and find out what the situation is. Ask a lot of questions um, and volunteer and get involved locally to begin with. Um, any, and many, many shelters have foster programs now. If they don't have a foster program, then I would say, um, it's it's something to talk to the, talk to them about. Talk to their board. Talk to their director. Talk to their volunteer coordinator um, about the possibilities of adding a foster program. Um, anybody in in shelter care knows the benefits of it. Knows that it's a it's the best situation for any any animal, dog or cat. Mostly dogs. Cats can kind of handle the the community setting. Um, so I, you know, just reaching out through your local and then if you, if you get nowhere with your local shelter, and I, I know that's the case in, in some places, um, there are rescue groups uh, all over. Like the one that I'm involved with is in Virginia, um, Maryland, D.C. and South Central Pennsylvania. And I think it's a little into Delaware these days. Um, and so they're an organization that, you know, they're, they're multi-state and uh, are always looking for fosters. And I know there are, there's lots like them all over the country. So if you make no headway with your local shelter, then finding a rescue would be the next step. Okay. That's good advice. And how about if someone wants to get into becoming a writer, what advice would you give them? Uh, so writing, I would say, think about why you write first and write, write what you're passionate about, write from your heart and, and, and write every day because, um, 
it's just, it's a, it's really difficult to get what you believe in and what you care about out of your head onto paper in a way that other people can understand it. And I think many times people try too hard to try to make it sound, sound, you know, some way that they imagine is, is going to be what people want. And it's better just to write straight from your heart, just raw and real and authentic. And that's what resonates with readers. And that's when you're going to have an impact. Um, the publishing piece is tricky. It's really hard. It's a hard, hard industry to get into. Um, actually, I say it's the hardest and it's also easy. I mean, anyone can self-publish. Um, but to to actually get published traditionally through a through a publisher, um, it's work. It just takes a lot of dedication and takes discipline and, and time and the willingness to just work hard every, you know, all the time, constantly. I mean, constantly reading, constantly writing. It's it's a job um, before it's even a job that you ever make any money at. Okay. Yeah. And so hard work and dedication. Mm, <laughs> well, like you. everything. <laughs> Put in the effort to get the, to get to your goal, your end state, whether right. it's, whether it's being a top uh, tier author next to Stephen King or mm-hmm. just to get your voice out there. So someone, someone is uh, appreciating your work. Exactly. Yeah. Well, well, Kara, I'm sorry for all the technical difficulties. <laughs> uh, thanks for being on today. And uh, thanks for taking some of your time this morning to hang out with me here. I might. That was great chatting with Kara Ochterberger. She was great to chat with and her work is truly amazing. We look forward to getting her on again to see how many more dogs she has rescued. Having four rescues in the house and knowing that many of the shelters near us are not doing right by the animals was a shocker. I guess we must visit more of them to check out what is happening, or even get the media or government involved. So you know how we do this. Thanks for taking some of your time to spend with us on the Misfit Nation. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and share the link as much as possible. We appreciate you. As always, till the next time, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling. Because we are the Misfit Nation.